welcome to the very first episode of ABC Cafe. I'm your host, Anthony Apodaca, and today's guest is Jenna Emerson. Jenna is a health and sexuality teacher at the University of Vermont. Jenna is a comedian, improviser, and singer. She's also one of my fellow board members at Revelry Theater. In this interview, we talk a lot about sex, the pelvic floor, sexual pain, what the media says about orgasms, vulnerability, and what it's like to teach frat boys about the, well, you'll see. And at the end, you'll get to hear one of her new parody songs. We recorded this interview at my house in Winooski, Vermont on March 13, which was before we got the stay-at-home order. We were not actually planning to record this when she stopped by because I really didn't have anything up and running yet for this podcast, but I realized that it might be my last opportunity for a few months to actually record an in-person interview. As a result, it took me a little bit longer than I wanted to get this published, but here we are, and without further delay, here's my interview with Jenna Emerson. All right, I'm here with Jenna Emerson. Hi. Jenna, thank you for joining the ABC Cafe. Uh, welcome. Thank you for having me. No problem. Uh, I wanted to have you on the show to talk a little bit about uh, your job, the work you do, and uh, also maybe a little bit about uh, your comedy and this and that. So what do you say we get started? Um, cool. Tell uh, everybody, what what do you do? What's your job? Um, so when not faced with a global pandemic of a virus circulating the entire world, I am usually a health and sexuality educator at the University of Vermont. And are you doing something different now that there is a global pandemic uh hitting the world yeah right now i'm fielding calls from students and parents who want a reimbursement from a university that i have no control over wait like at a call center yeah i like working at a call center and i'm just and they're yelling at me putting me on speakerphone being like well fuck you (laughs) and i'm like i'm just a sexuality educator i have no bearing over this so what other people do professors have to go to the call center like who, oh, ha- who no. has to go to the call center oh no it's um well it's whoever volunteered <laughs> you i volunteered, <laughs> you volunteered to volunteered. do this <laughs> i did volunteer to do this i actually feel like it's my calling um you know pun intended i i, I feel like I'm meant to talk to people, you know, I, I'm very extroverted and I, I am good at talking on the phone with people. Um, and so I said, yeah, this, this, this is the right thing to do. Wow. Well, what else, uh, would you have done? Just not worked? Um, well, there's a lot of things I can do. So one thing that we're doing right now is canceling all the programs that I would have led. So one big part of my job is student programming and specifically around sexuality issues, sexual sexual health, as well as mental health, resiliency, um, topics around that. Uh, give me an example of a program. What program have you had to cancel? Well, I just canceled the sexual health fair. So I <laughs> was, yeah. So what I was going to have. I actually just want to tell you about it because it sounded right, really yes. awesome. Let's, let's talk about the programming that would have been. Great. I, I would love that because it was really cool. So the past three years, um, I, I've been given this Get Yourself Tested event. So I've done over the past couple of years, every semester, a testing event for STIs and HIV. And so this year I said, you know, sexual health is so much more than just gonorrhea, chlamydia, and HIV. I want to expand it. So what I did was I created this fair and I had booths around having a pelvic floor specialist, having somebody read um, a couple's or an individual's tarot or astrology in terms of their love and relationships. I had somebody doing 10 minute online dating profile makeovers. I had somebody talking about endometriosis and uh, menstrual health among... Now, I know what 
endometriosis is, but could you explain it to maybe some of our listeners who don't know what that word is that I couldn't say again? Sure. Endometriosis is a painful, often painful condition around menstruation where um, uh, tissue from the uterus is developing outside of the uterus. And so it can be really painful during menstruation. Is that common? It is pretty common. Yeah. It's pretty common. Um, And also having a pelvic floor specialist there to talk about vaginismus, um, hypertoxicity. That's probably not the word. Um, Not toxicity. Um, Don't look at me. (laughs) My master's was in Jewish studies. I actually just learned this word about a week ago talking to the pelvic floor specialist. Um, But it's something around how the the pelvic floor can tighten which then what's the pelvic floor okay so it's above the garage in between the first floor and the garage and the garage (laughs) so pelvic floor so everyone has a pelvic floor not just people with a vagina um however when you think about kegels have you heard that word kegels yep so that is strengthening the pelvic floor cookies um the keblers Keeblers. Keeblers? Keeblers elves. The, the Kegels ke- elves. The Kegels elves. So the Kegels elves are yeah. uh, strengthening the, the pelvic, pelvic floor. floor. So um, the pelvic floor is responsible for um, incontinence. So if you have a strong pelvic floor or if you have a weak pelvic floor, you might urinate at will. So mm-hmm. a- often after childbirth, people need to re-strengthen their pelvic floors. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, it also has a lot to do with um, orgasm as well as vaginal elasticity. So the pelvic floor can get really, really tight, which then can tighten a vagina, which can make sex or putting in a tampon or a finger really painful. And so there's a relaxa- there are relaxation techniques you can do for a pelvic floor to make that easier. Mm. Now, why would you put a finger in a vagina? <sighs> All right, next question. <laughs> All right, so that's the uh, that's the health fair, and who would have attended? Just students, faculty. Do faculty come to you asking for advice ever, or is it no, just students? No, faculty do not know I exist. Um, uh, the faculty don't know you exist. Well, there was one faculty member that came to one of my comedy shows, which we'll talk about later, uh, which was pretty exciting. But we have not talked since, so I Probably, do not yeah. really talk to faculty, which is a, a sad thing. I would like to talk to them. But yeah, this is open to students, undergraduate, graduate. I was expecting 100 to 200 students, giving them free sex toys, you know, things mm-hmm. of that nature. Yeah. So what else would you work on throughout the year besides uh, sexual, what do you call it? A sexual fair? Sexual health fair. Sexual health fair. Sex fair. Uh, besides a sexual health fair, uh, what's normally your day to day? And do you meet with students one on one also? I do. I meet with students one on one. What's a typical problem for – what's a typical thing that you're talking about to a college student one-on-one? One of the most common is about sexual functioning and sexual pain. So thinking about um, people with a penis having difficulty with erection, people with vaginas and clitorises having difficulty with orgasm or penetration, and me mostly talking to them about how normal they are how common this is and how this doesn't have to be forever and also how they're not broken. Mm-hmm. So there can be the feelings, you know, and the experience, but it's how they feel about the experience that matters a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it can lead to a lot of distress, anxiety, depression, things of that nature. Right. Yeah. So that's a pretty common um, concern for people is I'm broken I'll never have enjoyable sex. And what the hell is the media saying? If This is so great. This is actually an awful, awful thing. What is the media saying? I think the media says that orgasms are great and everyone should be having them. And also what it looks like is, you know, in a movie, you get naked in a bed and you don't use protection. And it's a very you know, lustful fit of passion and everyone comes at the same time and then you roll off each other and you have these sheets over you and you're like, ah, that was fun. Right. 
And then you catch the bad guy. <laughs> and then the bad guy's already in the room. Right. And then a pew, pew, pew. So you're saying that's not realistic. It's not realistic. I don't think that movies, TV shows, porn are realistic depictions of sex and sexuality of how people normally um, experience it. So you mentioned the orgasm. <laughs> what? It doesn't have to have V in front of it. No, it does. You mentioned... <laughs> you mentioned... Uh, Capital T. Uh, I'll do quotes here. The orgasm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what do you think the most common misunderstandings of that it might be i'm um, just because you, you mentioned expectations yeah. so what, what specifically are people expecting or not i expecting? think people are expecting for it to happen through penile vaginal intercourse mm-hmm. and no clitoral stimulation right so i think that is a huge expectation of saying everyone said sex is so fun and it should feel so good. And so then I was so excited that I had sex with my partner and it hurt. And then the first question I asked is, you know, did you use lube? No. Did you use fingers first? No. So I'm like, so you went with no lubrication, just no warming up, no foreplay into penis and vagina intercourse. Yeah. Yeah. That should hurt. That does not feel pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think a big misconception is that, you know, foreplay is um, optional or thinking that everyone with a vagina should just magically be wet all the time. And also that wetness means arousal, which is a misconception, or that an erection means arousal is a misconception. Right. What else would an erection mean? Um, ever had a fear boner? <laughs> no. <laughs> a fear boner? Yeah. No, or I've, sometimes I've, having uh, a boner when you're not aroused, like during puberty. Oh, yeah. You but know, these are college dream. students. I mean, like, yeah, like I remember being in middle school. And of course, this is just something that just randomly would happen. It would just be like, yeah. hey, look at the tiger in a zoo. It's <laughs> And then all of a sudden you're walking around, uh, yeah, hiding. So that's just the thing is that it doesn't always mean arousal. But I think if you're like 22, isn't it like pretty certain that it's arousal? Like 99 percent, maybe. Like so, when you're in middle school, the chance is like it's 50-50. <laughs> so it's called um, arousal concordance. So there's things called arousal concordance and something called arousal non-concordance. About 50% of the time, it is said, and this is um, from the book Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski, which is my fave book. I even have a poster of me holding it in what seems like a lab coat and posters all around UVM. People are like, are you a doctor who wrote this book? And I say, no, but I won't challenge your assumption. (laughs) Yeah. And so about 50% of the time, people with a penis have arousal concordance, meaning that the arousal in the brain results to physical arousal. So what I mean by what a boner might mean is that sometimes people could have a wet dream or wake up with an erection, and that doesn't mean that they're necessarily aroused. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you can be aroused in the brain and not aroused physically, right? The arousal non-concordance, meaning when it doesn't match up, so with people with a penis about 50% of the time, Um, It matches up for people with a clitoris about 10% of the time. Right. So saying that arousal in the brain concords or is in accordance with arousal genitally. So it's it's 50% and 10%. Yeah. In what age demographic? All of them? Yeah. From what I I know. (laughs) Probably less with babies. I didn't know that. Yeah. This is why I'm having you on. Great. To tell me things I do not know. Facet- I can tell you a lot of things you don't know. Oh, I'm there's probably a few things. <laughs> like why a finger should go into the vagina? Yeah, that'd be a uh, yeah. Well, that'll be the You've next one. You mentioned it twice now, but I you know, I don't <laughs> It can feel nice. Um, so we'll get to your comedy, but I want to ask a few other questions first, which is um what is the, I, I don't like the words hardest, 
But what are hard? What is something hard about your job dealing with students on campus, or something else that might be hard? What What is difficult? I won't say hardest because yeah. that's like, well, what is the one thing? Yeah. I think the most difficult part of my job has nothing to do with students. Working with students is the only reason I'm at this job. Mm-hmm. I I love it, and you and I used to work K through twelve sex ed as well. And same goes with students are never the problem. It's always coworkers, adults, administration, authority that gets in the way. Mm-hmm. And so I think the hardest part, I think something really hard is just working in higher education in general. The demands are so high. We are stretched so thin and expected to do so much with so little that it can be really challenging. And then specifically with my job, something that I have a challenge with and with comedy and with life is promotion. I think that self-promotion promoting events constantly is exhausting and incredibly difficult because there's never enough you've never reached every single person telling them about this thing Mm -hmm. and there's just a sense of um a constant sense of failure (laughs) if you don't sell out or if you don't have people coming and you're like well i didn't do by sell out you mean having that the event sold out. Not yeah. Sell out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Having, yeah. having an event yeah, sell out, it. having people attend. It's tremendously vulnerable to try to put up public events or yes. even just do a podcast. Cause you're like, Oh man, it's been a year. And there's like only three people that listen to this. Yeah, <laughs> two exactly. Are my relatives. <laughs> exactly. And so I do a program that's really awesome called the good stuff with um, a coworker and, We do, for example, this has been a program that's been there for three years, one year without me. This is the second year with me. And the topics are really cool. Like weekly, we meet up and talk about sex toys, kinks and fetishes, butt stuff, long-term relationships, all different things. And lately, three to five people have been coming weekly. And I'm just like, I, I don't know what to do. And, you know, so I think that sucks, especially when a program is awesome. Mm-hmm. And I, I get a lot out of it. And the students who come get a lot out of it. And I just want more students to um, to partake in that. And, and I think it is easy to focus on who's not there rather than who is there. Mm-hmm. I think promotion is a big part of my job and probably the most challenging. Because, yeah, it's tied to your self-worth. It's tied to your productivity. Like, you can make – I think I, I worked with a marketing um, – somebody who was helping me with marketing for the first year. And she said – it does, and I, I was mad at her because I was like, I just want to focus on my workshop, right? I just want to focus on being the best educator I can, the topics, and I don't want to focus on promotion. And she said, it doesn't matter how good your workshop is if nobody comes. Yeah. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> you're right you know and so then I actually switched shifted to marketing quite a lot more um which then took out a lot of the joy of teaching Mm -hmm. you know because I just want to show up to a class and teach um so that's that's what makes it hard yep that's certainly been my experience it doesn't necessarily correspond who's the most talented or what the material is basically it there's another component of how comfortable are you in promotion and how willing you are to put yourself out there and the people that really get ahead are like the people that are most willing to do that even if they're not necessarily the most competent and i would say that that's like pretty much about that's like literally everything from comedy to academia to any job I've ever had it's like oh no the person that just you know puts themselves out there um like we're all pretenders you know in a way yeah and that's what I have I feel like when you have at least for me um I feel very easily like a like a pretender Mm -hmm. and so when I start feeling that way like I pull back 
you know, but I feel like everyone's sort of in that boat. We're like, you know, like imposter syndrome. Yeah. Everyone is an imposter. That's yeah, yeah exactly. And, and, and some people just don't have it as much, but at the end of the day, you know, whenever I've worked for like a company, like the people in charge aren't necessarily mm-hmm. like, because they're the most competent. Mm-hmm. It's because they're, it, it seems like the least affected by imposter syndrome and just are just going to go for it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that I've been told that people attend my programs or are interested or that I have an easier job promoting because I promote things like sex and sexuality that are seemingly like fun and sexy and all these things. But I struggle just as much as anyone else. And actually, my programs do far less than something like mindfulness, for example, because mm-hmm. um, I think there is still a taboo nature of it of people not wanting to go even though it is this like fun and provocative and radical you're like thing. i don't understand the title of the conference was butt stuff yeah i'm like <laughs> how eating pussy 101 like why don't we have a thousand people in this room right now trying to learn about eating pussy that was literally um something that you was called brought. it that it was called eating pussy 101 across campus and no one came or how many people came uh, no like 22 people that was actually 22 our, people that was our biggest attendance too that's really something for everyone. I think so. Um, so I heard recently that you did something that a fraternity. Is that something you can yeah. talk about? Um, give me a highlight. Give me the give me the goods on that. What happens? Um, yeah, so sometimes I'm asked from groups to come in and just talk about sexual health or consent or really whatever they want to learn about. And I went into a fraternity a couple weeks ago and just imagine me, um, you know, listeners might not, might not know what I look like, but I'm very short, petite. It's Google Leprechaun 4. <laughs> um, and that is a spitting image <laughs> of what this looks like. Um, and basically walking into this fraternity house of probably about 40 uh, fraternity members of all men. And I come in and the first thing I said is, all right, so I got a bag of dicks and I start taking out demo dildos and they just lost their shit by that point and never regained it until the end of the lesson. Um, What was the lesson? So I started, so it was mostly about safer sex and STIs is what they wanted. So I had them start with uh, coming, going into four different groups and I said, pick five your five steps of putting on a condom, right? And going around, it was really funny because I would would just go around and listen and, you know, you hear one group saying, okay, step one is open the package. And then somebody says, no, you first have to check the expiration date. And then another guy is like, bro, no, you got to ask for consent. And they're just like, oh, yeah. And then like (laughs) high five and some shit, you know, chest pump and you're just like yeah consent fuck yeah um consent 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 and it it was literally like that it was incredible and then um i don't know we just got into this place where the men were really vulnerable and expressing themselves and asking questions and it almost felt like they had never had somebody like me before in front of them and it was um extremely exciting for them to then ask all of their burning, you know, no no pun intended questions about mm-hmm. STIs. And you know, one one man even came forward with saying that he had an STI and he was like, you know, so if everyone anyone wants to come talk to me, like I'm happy to talk about it. And I was like, "Oh my god, that is so sweet." You know, just being really vulnerable in the, that kind of space where there's a lot of judgment and stigma, and I think that we were able to get to a place where we could just talk about it openly and especially with their brothers. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But then at the end it was, well, and then probably two thirds towards the end, I just started holding a vulva puppet. That's about uh, a foot, a foot big and just held it consistently just to really soak it in. Um, And they kept asking like, what is that? What is that? Pointing to different parts. And that was one of my favorite parts because at the end, you know, after I had talked about different STIs and risks and percentages and all, all the questions that they had, they were like, well, what is one, 
what's one more thing that you want us to know? And I was like, hmm, I want to share a statistic with you about clitoral orgasm. And I shit you not, they shut the fuck up. They went on the edge of their seats and their mouths all opened so wide that they like hit the floor, right? They were just like, new information (laughs) new information it felt like i was um giving them like a code for unlocking the next i don't know whatever the video game what video game do you play who knows what if i told you there was a way to get unlimited lives (laughs) yeah in uh, world crowd in video game in video games (laughs) in video game two coming out march 20th um and and it it felt like i was like withholding information so i said 75 percent of people with the clitoris do not orgasm or reach orgasm by like penetration alone Mm -hmm. and 25 percent can but 75 percent of people or depending on the statistic you might see 80 um, to 85% of people with a clitoris need direct clitoral stimulation, uh, mostly externally, but sometimes also internally through other erogenous zones like the G-spot, to reach orgasm. All right. And they were like, yeah, I knew that. And I was like, no, no you, you didn't. didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> um, like, they were, yeah, they were amazed. Yeah, and we had made them do like the G spot hand motion, and they all felt like they were Spider Man. It was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. They're like literally jumping from couch to couch, like. Uh, it was pretty pretty cute. Switching gears, let's talk a little bit about uh, your comedy. So you're an uh-huh. improviser. You write comedy songs. Um, take me back to the beginning. Mm. When did you decide to try doing comedy? I I was a forever uh, dropout of any sort of theater in middle school and high school. I was actually very terrible at it. Uh, I even got I, I even tell the story that in middle school I was shooting for having getting this award that was straight A's all through middle school, right? All sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, except for eighth grade drama, I got a B. and the reason was because my best friend was anna and the king and i i was a thai child that had to spray paint her hair black um nice yeah different times different times (laughs) different times absolutely um and what was that 2012 2002 (laughs) yeah different times different times we hadn't yet invaded iraq but (laughs) 9-11 was in our minds yep um post 9-11 yeah yeah yep and i i made my so my best friend was anna and the king and i and i made her laugh during a live performance because it was whistle a happy tune or whatever the song is and I pretended to whistle so extravagantly that I started spitting all over the stage and she started to laugh at me and I was told that was extremely unprofessional and I was 12. I did not know what professional meant. (laughs) So then I was told I was just like bad at acting and it's like this is never going to be something that you do. Um, Right, so I I didn't do it. I actually then did – I was a lacrosse jock for – lacrosse i played lacrosse and i even played in college what yeah and then i coached for six more years what so i spent about 15 years doing lacrosse and wow but that's weird because i i kind of always uh pictured lacrosse as a east coast thing Mm. then you're from the west coast right it is was the fastest growing sport in washington state from what years when i was a part of it but I wasn't even in Washington at the time. It really took off after 9-11. <laughs> um, I started in 2004. Okay, yep. Um, and we had a girls lacrosse team in California. I don't know. It, it made its way. It made its okay, way it made in its the way. early 2000s. So you're in middle school. So so then I go to college. Yep, you go to college. And then my freshman year, I have this this best friend who did improv in high school and I didn't know what improv was. I had never taken an improv class. Um, however, in 2007 was a, 
a high time for Saturday Night Live, especially for women in comedy. So that was Amy Poehler, Tina Fey, Kristen Wiig, uh, Rachel Dratch, Maya Rudolph, um, some people that I still look up to today. And me and my friend were obsessed with watching Saturday Night Live, and then we would imitate the characters, and we're just a really funny duo. Um, and, and this was in Seattle. And my friend said, you should try improv. And I was like, what's that? He was like, well, we should, we should do it. We should try to find the club. And so then we found the improv club at Seattle University. One of the members was on my lacrosse team. This is why it's connected. I knew her. It was a closed group. I weaseled my way in. Me and my friend Chase weasel, were the only two first years to go in. By second year, we were part of the team. By the third year, I was the president of the club. And then I stayed on for a couple more years leading the club from there. But ever since going to my first practice, I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is for me. This is fun. This is really, really fun. And I I had I didn't, you know, pine after it. I knew what whose lines it anyway was and all those kind of things, but I I never knew that I had a knack for it or a quick wit until my friend was like, Oh, I used to do this in high school. I think you'd be really good at it. And then I had a friend to go with me and then we both did it for four more years and that was really great. And then Last November, I just did a 10-year anniversary or 11-year anniversary of when I first started doing improv show in Seattle to a sold-out show with my friend Chase as my guest. Um, and that was a really cool... What show was that? That was my Sex with Jenna show. All right. Let's talk about Sex with Jenna. Sure. Which I think you should change the name of to Sex with Jenna <laughs> because I find sex offensive. And I would prefer there be more comedy shows that revolved around a saxophone. And people named Jana. And people named Jana. They don't get enough attention. Please change Janas. the E's to the A's. <laughs> you could do sax with Jana. Some people of... find the saxophone offensive. Who finds the saxophone offensive? <laughs> Trombone players. <laughs> yeah. Oboe players. Yeah, people in a ska band. These saxophones in ska bands are just sure. trumpets and trombones. Oh, I don't know, actually. I don't know. It's been a while since I've ska it up. So sax with Jana. Sax with Jana. Uh, great. Talk about it. <laughs> sax with Jana. What is it? Why do you do it? When did you start? Well, it started in October 2018. When you opened a theater, what? And then no, said, I didn't. We're then... not promoting that. <laughs> um, I had just met you in July. Yep. I knew you for two months. Yep. You opened a theater, and then four weeks later, I started the Sex with Jenna show. And you said, Jenna, you should really produce a show. Um, and also Philip Markle gave me the same advice after you brought him in September and some feedback at the end. He was like, Jenna, you should produce your own shows. And then I said, what me? Okay. What me? And then I'm just a girl. <laughs> she said that. I didn't say that. She said that. I, I was there. Yeah. She said that. You definitely <laughs> said that. So you put on the show. What is it? So it is a sex ed comedy show. It's a variety show that. Um, encompasses both um, I actually started doing stand-up because of the show as well so mm -hmm. I never had written stand-up jokes before and then in January 2019 I started and so it encompasses stand-up um, I always bring on a local stand-up comedian who just tells their sex and relationships and queer jokes because mm -hmm. that's all we want to hear anyway right yep that's all give we want to hear give, give us, us the, the goods, goods. <laughs> And then I also have usually a guest from the community who is from a local nonprofit or somebody doing work in the field of sexuality, sex ed, um, HIV prevention, different things like that. And I usually play a fun game with them, such as classics of what cock and balls and who's that bird where we matched queer women with birds. I missed that one. Did you miss that one? That was one of the best. Who's that Who's bird? Who's that bird? I just like having people yell 
Yeah, um, a, a call show. and response is really fun. It's really fun. And the audience were guessing the, the queer people with the birds. They're like, oh, yes, that one's Jane Lynch. <laughs> it's just a really lanky white one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then she's like, you're right. So that was really, that was with um, the Pride Center of Vermont and supporting LGBTQ women. And then um, it also includes me doing actual sex ed. So every segment I have something called genitalia, which I dress in a costume of the internal clitoris and just lecture on that because it's that important. Mm -hmm. And then usually some sex ed topic that I choose that um, that month and then improvisers come together, of which you are also a part of, um, coming together to do improv based on anything they just saw. Um, and then I started from day one, from the first month, incorporating parody songs. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, so you have a song for us. We're going to hold off on that a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, what do you love about this show? I... I love that it makes for me I love the creative freedom to just feel free and liberated mm-hmm. I I love that I can literally do whatever I want and that this show also liberates me in my own journey towards sexual liberation um, I also love that it helps others with that as well so I love that people find it really funny, that they're excited to see it, that they always learn something. Have you had any um, personal feedback stories that you could share or highlights where that sort of come home? Um, you know, one of my friends came who is also who studied sexuality education through a master's program. And she said, you know, I think that I'm a fairly liberated person but coming to your show made me feel even more liberated Mm -hmm. so i think people come to the show to also seek that liberation of what that could look like to be free from oppression free from sexual taboos free from um misogyny homophobia transphobia right just to create a space that just feels free of these social pressures that you know bog us down and to be comfortable in in our own skin and it's a super super vulnerable show for me. I am uh, scared and every single time. I get cotton mouth immediately before I start from anxiety every single month. Um, but it's also great to do things that scare us. Um, feedback from the show. Um, people like my butt. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. It's a, it's a good butt, too. Um... And I think in general, I just get a lot of really positive feedback um, of people who enjoy the songs, who think it's really funny, and are just really excited about a fresh type of comedy. It feels really different. It feels really new. Um, and it, 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 I think for some people, they really like the mix of education and comedy. I don't think we do that enough. And that's something that I like to bridge at UVM and through my comedy. So I'm... Try, I try to be humorous at UVM, and I try to be educational through comedy. Yeah, I get it. Am I making you tired? No, it's just a little late. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just yawned. I can't help it. This coronavirus has got me all tired and stressed out, you know? Not to mention the, the eight-week-old baby. Oh, yeah. No, that has nothing to do with it. It's pure, <laughs> pure coronavirus uh, making me tired and not a baby or a dog or anything of like that. Um, so yeah, full full disclosure. Yeah, Jen and I, Jen and I are both on the board of Revelry Theater, which we, I made into a nonprofit a few months after she started doing sex with Jenna. So that's been an exciting journey, and we're actually collaborating on something right now, um, which is called. Abortion, the, the musical. musical. Uh, do you want to da, talk da, da, da. a little bit about, uh, from your perspective, the genesis and um, anything you'd like to say about abortion, the musical? I am really excited about it. I, 
I think this is also in that territory of do things that scare you. Yep. It's terrifying. <laughs> it's incredibly vulnerable and also incredibly liberating and creative. Um, it's an opportunity for us to get together and really strip away everything that we might know. Um, social pressures, right? Everything Expectations. you know about abortion is, is wrong. wrong. And now here's our <laughs> opinion about it. Now here's our opinion about it. <laughs> um, no, I just think it's really creative. Um, lately, I've felt a little blocked by it, but I, I feel like I'm now getting to a point where I can, because we took a break. Yep. You know, we, we, we debuted it in December. We took a couple month break and now we're back into it. And it takes a little bit to to take away the rigidity, right? Like, I think we get stuck in our ways. And as comedians or as creatives, we can... It's really hard to just be really open and, and flow. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that I think is, cre- is extremely difficult in comedy. Um, and this show pushes us to those limits in a really fun, supportive way. And I think the support is something that carries through because we couldn't do this if we didn't trust each other and support each other Mm -hmm. you know and so it's gonna it's a it's a great experience to be a part of and people are really excited to see it yeah (laughs) if if we're able to perform it based on this coronavirus COVID-19 yeah speaking of which uh COVID-19 it was not a dream it became Something. My coronavirus. All right. So you're going to do a song for us in a minute, a parody song that you wrote. Um, we'll, we'll get back to that. But a few, I, I, I always end the podcast. This is the first one, oh, but yeah. I always end the podcast with uh, rapid the fire podcast. questions. So. Don't you can't think okay. about any of these things. Okay. You just have to choose one. It's all gonna be either or, this or that. Okay. Blankety blank. Okay. Okay. Coke or Pepsi. Pepsi. East Coast or West Coast. West Coast. Soft or hard. Hard. Pabst or Carlo Rossi. Pabst. Chickens or eggs. Chickens. Bus or train. Bus. Penis or vagina. Vagina. Sanders or Biden. Sanders. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Couch or futon? Couch. TV or radio? TV. Lamp or the sun? The sun. Jenna, would you like to introduce your song? Sure. <laughs> so speaking of uh, politics, um, all of those were political statements that I just made. Um, so I, I actually wrote this for a a political rally that I was a part of. Well, I guess I can't call it a rally. It was a small gathering of progressives. Or political. A- it was, it was, it was, uh, I was uh, taking a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote this song. Um, I actually did write this song. The premise was in a bath. Um, and I had heard the song Let It Be from the Beatles. And then I immediately uh, changed was the lyrics. the first time you heard it? <laughs> it was... It's a good song. Have you, you ever know? heard of Let It Be by the <laughs> Beatles? Did you know it was a good song? I've heard it was a good song. Have you ever heard the song? No. Well, you're in for a treat because I made it about um, a debate that is often in sex ed. What's the debate? It's what is what is the fluid in ejaculate of squirting? Squirting. It's about squirting and where where's where's the G spot? What's the deal? All right. So these are debates. These are not resolved. Um, actually, no. I after I wrote the song, the original song, um, I had a few sex educators privately message me to further debate this, <laughs> and so I rewrote it to be a little bit more clear. And they're like, "Okay, that's great." Um, that's but amazing. We still don't really know what female ejaculate is and what squirting is and how it. Can't you just? like capture some of the fluid and test it oh sure 
but it changes person to person. <laughs> what? Um, that doesn't make any sense. People don't really know where it comes from. At least there's a lot. <laughs> Another dimension. <laughs> <laughs> I, I explain as much as I know in the song. The song I actually wrote. So this song is really an exhaustive. <laughs> it's, it's exhaustive. Um, well, there was one study that came out, and I, I will preface this. This is not in the song. There was one study that came out that was supposed to be the definitive answer. And they it tested 10 people, 10 women who yeah. ten? were 10, only 10. You got to like you got you can't be definitive with 10. <laughs> you need to, or like, it was the only scientific article I should say that's really out there. It was Everything just some else guy is... was like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to define this once <laughs> and for all. Yes. And they they basically um, did MRIs. So um, the women would urinate, have an MRA showing a an empty bladder, would then, you know, vibrate, use a vibrator or some sort of, you know, stimulation until reaching orgasm. Then they would take another MRI showing that right before squirting or orgasm, which are two different things, um, that they had a full bladder and then after squirting, the bladder was empty. So then they said squirting is just pee and then the world was like what what (laughs) pee and so then that got circulated that it's just pee it's just pee but then there's so much anecdotal um evidence and also evidence that it's not just pee and i say not just because a lot of it can be um, but there is this gland called the skeins gland that is skein um, skeins skeins. What's yeah. that word come from? I don't know, but it's no. I don't. I don't actually know, but it's homologous to the prostate gland. Mm-hmm. So they have very similar functionings, but mm-hmm. um, and it produces fluids that are called prostate fluids. Yeah, it's <laughs> great. I love it. Um, and so when I wrote this song, I originally, because I write a lot of parody songs that are pretty vulgar. Um, yeah. And I think those are funny, but I just started writing an educational song and it became funny. And so that's what this song is. It's, it's just an educational song about what squirting is and questioning if it's, if it's pee. Um, and I just, I just kept it as educational as possible. All right, and well, people have enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoy it as well. I hope so, too. So does it have a title? It's called Is It P. It's called Is It P to the tune of Let, Let It, it be. be from the Beatles. From the Beatles. They I got permission. Um, apparently a big band. Yeah, Ringo was a fan, and Ringo also agrees that it's not P. Not P. All right, well, that does it uh for our interview with Jenna Emerson, and now we'll listen to Is It P? Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. When I find myself in a debate, the same issues come to me. Seeking words of wisdom, please help me. And in my hour of teaching, I show a photo for all to see. Point at the vaginal wall, there's the G spot. There's the G, there's the G, there's the G, there's the G. It's on the urethral sponge, two inches deep. The G spot was named after this man named Graffenberg, who was said to have discovered it. But saying that Graffenberg discovered the G spot, it's kind of like saying that Christopher Columbus discovered the Americas. People knew about it a long time, for thousands of years before they came around. Of the people who study sex can agree how a pussy functions exactly. Cause sometimes people squirt and it still remains a mystery. What even is that fluid and is it pee? Is it pee? Is it pee? Is it 
imagination. I don't know if everyone can squirt, but if you can, then you will see a strange warm fluid grace your sheets. Because the fluid goes through the urethra, there's a chance that it could be mostly made up of just pee. But I can tell you with my professional certainty that the actual ejaculate itself is not pee. Wait, what? It's true. It's not pee. It's not pee. It's not pee. No, it's not pee made up of prostate fluids from the skeins. You might be wondering why it's called prostate fluids in a body that does not contain a prostate, and I'd say, good observation. The answer is that sometimes doctors are lazy. It's not pee, it's not pee, it's not pee, no, it's not pee. It's made up of prostate fluids from the skeins. It's not pee. It's not pee, it's not pee, no, it's not pee. I still put down a towel to help clean. It's not pee, it's not pee, it's not pee, no, it's not pee. But maybe water sports is my king. That does it for the first episode of ABC Cafe. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Jenna Emerson. If you did enjoy it and want to support this podcast, uh, you can't. There's no way to support it at all. However, what would make me happy is if you head over to vtdigger.org, look at the bottom of the page, and help their campaign to donate 3,000 masks in 30 days. They started it two days ago. It'll be going, I guess, until around May 2nd. They're doing the in partnership with Vermont Glove. This podcast is not affiliated with either organization, and I don't get anything for it. I just saw that they were doing it. And if you have the means, please head over there to vtdigger.org, become a member, and help them, help the folks in the front line. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 